This is episode number 118, Recognizing Your True Potential with Dr. Richard Schuster. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your false potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a brief announcement and invite all of our listeners to our upcoming virtual meetup called Courageous Conversations. You're probably wondering, what is that? This is a place that we started where we meet through Zoom every single Saturday from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Central Time. This is an opportunity for you to connect with other members of this community, people who have been a part of our events, people who have been guests on our podcast, people who have shared their stories, or simply those that have stumbled upon our work and wanted to learn more about what we do. So how does it work? Well, every single Saturday, we have a topic that relates to our daily lives. And we choose to use that hour to discuss that particular topic by giving a chance and an opportunity to everyone that joins to share their own lived perspectives as it comes to that particular theme. So if you are looking to become a part of this community or are curious about what this space has to do and what it can create in your life, please go ahead and leave us a message through our website in which we'll respond back to you with all of the information about when the event happens and how you can join us on each and every single one of those calls. Now, let's get back to our show. Welcome back to another episode of the Overcoming Ads podcast. Today's guest is someone that I was fortunate enough of connecting a couple of weeks ago his name is Dr. Richard Schuster, and him and I had a conversation on his podcast, and what I wanted to do is bring him onto this particular show and give him the opportunity to share his, sto- his story, his insights, and everything that it comes to this topic of reaching and living our full potential. Dr. Richard, welcome to the show. Thank you, Oleg. It's awesome to be here. Absolutely. Thank you f- so much for joining. And you know, the conversation that you and I actually started prior to this recording, everything when it comes to the potential and the brief story that I was sharing with you is that I'm a firm believer after looking back on my life and, and the things that I've been able to accomplish and achieve within this particular time frame is I believe everything starts with persistence or it starts with an idea. And then from there, it's it's just being persistent enough to kind of meet other people and connect with other paths that can help you align it. So I'm really am excited and looking forward to this conversation about exploring our human potential and how we can tap into it. But I think before we get into that rather loaded question and, and explore it at what it, for what it could be, I want to give some of our listeners the opportunity to get to know you just a little bit better. And that is, when you were asked the question of who are you, how would you answer that particular question? 
I, I have the song from Les Mis, Jean Valjean, in my head popping as you say, <laughs> who, who am I? I, I, won't, I won't sing it and I'll spare your audience uh, my, my, my horrible vocal cords. But, uh, you know, I, I, I answer that question a number of ways. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I am an eternal optimist to a point. And I'm a scientist who's really trying to push the envelope in ways to help everybody become the best versions of themselves. Mm, I love that. I love that for so many different reasons. And the biggest one of all is the very last statement that you just made in regard to being a scientist and helping people understand their own potential and what they could be, regardless of the circumstances and events that they've been through in life. And so I'm curious to know from your perspective, take us as far back as you can. Like, When did that make sense to you as far as you wanting to live out your own potential and then understanding that the more you go, and this is an assumption that I'm making based on my own experience, that the more I tapped into it, the more I begin to understand that, oh, there are all these other things I can do that once a time, once upon a time seemed impossible. So was, is there a story that comes to your mind as far as when this clicked for you and that's something that you wanted to pursue? I'd love to say there was this one shining moment you know, where, <laughs> where you know, I just woke up one day and like this was going to happen. I, I actually mm-hmm. did have a life-changing moment with, which put me on this path, Oleg, but it took me a number of years before I was able to really connect all the dots. So in my early 20s, I was really, really obnoxious, very, very focused on money. And, and listen, I'm a capitalist. I am not saying there's anything wrong with building a business and creating value for others and, and providing for your family. So I, you know, I, I want to preface this by saying that. But back then, I was really convinced I was going to be Tony Stark. And I... I would go home and I would Google or get on eBay rather. And I would look for things like yachts and private islands. Cause you can buy those things on eBay. Uh, huh. I, I had won a de- contract with the department of defense at a very early age. I really had no business winning this. And so we, I wasn't making bombs or weapons. Uh, it was just software. It was, it was medical software for the United States army. And I won this contract and now I believed that I was on this path of glory. Oh, like I was on this path where I was going to take over the world and become the next Bill Gates and have all the power and the women and all of these exciting things that were my birthright and just really lost track of who I, who I had been before that. You know, my, my mom was a school teacher and my my dad was a dentist. And I, I remember, you know, as a kid, sometimes, particularly during like school breaks and such, we'd hang about the dental office and, you know, inflate water balloons with dental tools and stuff. And I, and I would have lessons like my, my dad, when there would be families that couldn't afford to get dentistry for their kids, my dad would give it away. Uh, And so it's not like these lessons weren't around me at all times, but something happened to me after I got out of college that I became extremely focused on money and the acquisition of things for the sake of having things, status symbols, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And so on what was otherwise an ordinary Saturday for me, as I was going to go out and have dinner with, with a cousin, I was in a pretty, pretty horrific car accident, which I nearly died. Um, I broke my back. I nearly tore all the ligaments in my neck, suffered a number of severe internal injuries, bruised my ribs. Like it was, it was really bad. And so what was interesting in that moment is what was maybe three seconds 
from when I made my left hand turn into the intersection and then I realized this car was just flying at me um, to when that car hit me and sent me into oncoming traffic. And then the second car in the other lane hit me and then sent me the other way uh, into a telephone pole, like maybe three seconds. It was very, very fast. Mm -hmm. But in that moment, I felt as if time had slowed down, almost like Neo in the Matrix dodging bullets. I mean, it was, it was really a surreal phenomenon. I'm, I'm watching my windshield shatter, but it's in slow motion. And I can see like the light of the setting sun reflecting off of these little floating pieces of glass that are just all around me. And I can see my center console crush into my side like it's in a, a can of Coke or something. And I have this thought. I'm about to die. And it wasn't like I was praying to God, please let me live. And I promise I'm going to give presents to orphan boys or girls tomorrow. Like it wasn't like that. Oh, like I was dead. And so then I became immediately overwhelmed with grief, realizing that my parents were about to get a call on a night where they were out with their friends that I was dead. And I thought about the watch I was wearing. And I thought about the car that was crumpling all around me. And these things are things that I can't take with me. Uh, and I, and it wasn't like it was a do over moment in my mind. It was just a sense of regret of how I had really done nothing extraordinary in my life. And so um, when one breaks their back, there's a long road to recovery. And I was able to spend a lot of time just lying there thinking about life and so and again like I, I wish I had said to you like I ripped all the cords out of me at the hospital <laughs> and just declared I'm gonna do good from now on like it wasn't like that I, I actually <laughs> I recovered and I went back to work um, because I was afraid and this is something I talk about a lot when I tell my story is that I allowed fear to prevent me from doing what I was really supposed to be doing fear of the unknown. I had no idea what I would do if I walked away from this IT company I was building. Fear of letting people down. I trumpeted to everybody I knew that I was going to be the next big thing. And uh, what would that be like for me to admit that failure to essentially the whole world? And so I stuck it out for way longer than I should have until finally I, I was just so miserable that I walked away from it. And so it was really when I took that step, when I had the courage to walk away where things slowly and over time started coming into shape for me. I, I still, I, I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, I joke a lot <laughs> when I'm on stage and I talk about this, that if Instacart had existed in 2002, I don't know what I'd be doing today. Because the, <laughs> because the, the moment that really started me changing things was when I went to the grocery store and, you know, I had to because there was no other way to get food back then. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so I, I went to the grocery store uh, and I heard these two women talking about I was just in an aisle and I overheard their conversation freaking out about their teenage daughters on social media and you know I've got this tech background and so I interjected in their conversation which is also something that was kind of uncharacteristic for me to interrupt others and um, I just said hey you know if you're thinking about keeping your family safe on the internet you should think about x y and z and their eyes got really big and I freaked them out which wasn't my intention at all I was trying to be helpful and they said please come to our, our PTA come speak to us and so it's not like I was doing anything else with my time. I was just sitting alone in my home, you know, wallowing in regret and poor choices. And um, that was the spark for me. That kind of started reframing things where, because, you know, I wasn't asking for any money uh, and they probably wouldn't have given it to me even if I did. <laughs> but I got to speak to their PTA and it, it put this whole PowerPoint presentation together on internet safety 
And that became a thing for me. So I all of a sudden, you know, there was a guy in that audience who was a cop on their city cybercrime division. And he said something to me, he said, you know, you're a really good speaker, Richard, and, and you can say things as a civilian that we as law enforcement can't. And all of a sudden now I'm on this speaking tour, going around talking to schools and informing parents and educators on things they need to do. And, you know, because social media was really starting to blow up at that time. There were no smartphones yet, but this was the big kind of concern that parents were having. And so uh, one thing led to another. And at one of these schools, I was asked if I would be a mentor because they had a lot of female mentors, but no male mentors. And so uh, I said, sure. And they gave me a kid who was in the seventh grade and he had a lot of problems. And I got to stick with him for a couple of years. And I'm not so arrogant as to say I'm the reason his life turned around, but I was certainly part of that change element. And that felt really exciting to me. And that gave me the courage to go back to graduate school after many, many years uh-huh. and became first a social worker. And then, uh, go after my doctorate in clinical psychology, where I received advanced training in in neuro and forensic psychology. And uh, that really shifted everything for me. It was really that one moment. And so, um, you know, really that one moment when I heard those people at the grocery store that put me on this path. So now I'm all of a sudden, I, I find myself in a total different life. I have essentially abandoned you know, the world of IT consulting that I had been in. I was a graduate student in my 30s, which was a little intimidating because I, the, you know, I was never like the greatest of students in undergrad and, and high school, uh, other than I got into graduate school and, and then I was doing really well. Uh, so got some confidence there and, and just was really exciting. And, and I, I graduated and I got out. And so you know, again, here I'm, I'm condensing essentially 10 years of my life into two minutes. But <laughs> uh, as I was practicing as a psychologist, I felt like this is really cool. And I'm really grateful that I get to help people. But how can I go bigger? How can I do more? And so that's when I got the idea to start a podcast and had no idea what would happen when I did it. But uh, I, I wanted to build some neuroscience into my show's call to action, which is to encourage the listener to commit acts of kindness every day and post them in their social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping. And one thing led to another. And, and now all of a sudden, you know, we're in well over 130 countries. And uh, it, it's, it's been mind-blowing because now I, I have this audience and, and I'm so grateful for the stories that people have been sharing with me about you know, how the podcast has helped them. But, but most importantly, it's given me a broader platform where I could do some things in an even greater scale to help people that I never could have done without the podcast. And yeah. there's, you know, so like you said, persistence, it's just, you know, it just continued to push, push, push and try and get out there. And then, you know, got a lucky break when NBC got a hold of me and uh, put me out there. And, and that's really when things started to blow up. So uh, now every day of my life is dedicated to helping people become the best versions of themselves, even if it's of no direct benefit to myself. And that's kind of spiraled into a whole lot of different things, a, a nonprofit, I have a, a speaking career and, and a, a technology company, funny how things come full circle, right? Where we have uh, assessment tools that help people find out their superpowers and live their best life. Mm-hmm. In your opinion, after having done so much of the work that you do, what would you say are some of the biggest factors and reasons for why people don't choose to go after their full potential? One is fear, for sure, as I alluded to with my own story. Uh, we are often afraid of the unknown. I mean, we're wired to, and this is from a neurobiological standpoint I'm speaking, we're wired to want to be at a baseline. 
homeostasis is the term that's used medically to talk about this. And it applies not only to your weight, uh, it applies to the, your brain. Your brain works very hard to keep things safe, comfortable, stable. Mm. So, you know, that's why habits are so hard to break, right? Like we, we are wired to do sameness. And so with radical change comes, you know, great effort. But so fear is one of the things that's a huge issue. The other equally important is the group you surround yourself with. It's funny, right? Dale Carnegie, Napoleon Hill, Zig Ziglar were talking about this as a phenomenon for many years before probably you, I, and everybody listening to the show for the most part was born. Mm -hmm. And yet, uh, now science has kind of caught up to them. And we know we have these things in our brains called mirror neurons. And mirror neurons basically are what attune us and sync us up, so to speak, with other people around us. So here's a really good example. <clears throat> if you took two people, right, and put them in a football stadium, strangers, and they were wearing the same jersey, and their, their team scored a touchdown, these random strangers are going to hug themselves, slap each other on the butts, high fives, right? Like you've seen, I'm sure everyone can, can identify with that. Like they've seen an event like that or at a concert, whatever. Take those same two people, take off their foot, football jerseys, put them on a subway in anywhere in the world. You know, I'm not going to pick out like a, say New York. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's not New Yorkers. It's everywhere, right? This is biology. You take these two people and you disconnect them from those similar features, they might not talk to each other. They might not even make eye contact with each other. And they're certainly not going to be high-fiving and you know, carrying on and acting a fool as they would in a stadium. That's mirror neurons. Mirror mm. neurons are what align us with the people around us and, and allow us to really feel comfortable with that. So the point of all that is, you know, so when, when Jim Rome was saying you're an average of the five people who you spend the most time with, <clears throat> when, when, Dale Carnegie and Napoleon Hill are talking about, you know, you need, if you want to be successful, you have to surround yourself with successful, successful people. That's mirror neurons in action, Oleg. And, and really what's interesting is that if you think about it, it it's really quite simple. Like if, if your goal is to be in the best shape of your life, how much sense does it make to hang around with people that drink heavily, smoke like a chimney, Right. And, you know, eat fast food five days a week, right? It just doesn't make sense. And so it's the same thing from a success orientation standpoint is that it's really critical that you surround yourself with an element of people that are going to get you and support your goals. And so if you've historically been around people that have been less successful or look down on people that are successful, or you've had an idea and you've shared it and you really think it's exciting and they say, oh, that's stupid. That'll never work. Those are the people you need to get rid of as quickly as possible. And I know sometimes those people are family, so that can make it really difficult. But I conceptualize the world in different ways. I, I don't think that family needs to be blood or that friends cannot be family. I mean, I, I know that Robert Kiyosaki talked about this in Rich Dad, Poor Dad quite a lot. Uh -huh. You know, I mean, he had his dad who he loved, his biological father, but it was really his friend's father that was his rich dad that taught him everything he knows. And so, you know, it's funny, like as I've become a podcaster and, and my 
my notoriety, so to speak, has, has risen. And it's still weird for me to hear people call me an influencer. Like I still see, you know, just like, I'm just a guy, right? <laughs> but, you know, en- enough people have said it. So I guess it must be true. But um, like, you know, I have these people that I'm now very, very close with who are extraordinarily successful. And I will, I can say to them, okay, my goal is to, you know, help with opioid addiction around the world. And this is how I'm going to do it. Uh, which is something that we're doing through one of through a different one of our assessments, and I have those people in my life through the through the podcast, and they're like, "This is incredible, man! How can I help you get there?" Like, though that's my tribe; those are my people; that's my family. Whereas there's other people uh, who you know have been in my life, or you know through marriage, or not my wife, but you know, like uh, you know, other relatives or what have you, where I just wouldn't share that information with them. And not that there's anything wrong with them; not that they're bad people, but you know, these are people that work a nine to five job and would never understand the mindset of an entrepreneur or they're scared of it or they think it's weird. So I, I'm not trying to sound judgmental in this at all. And nor am I okay. saying that you need to compose an email this afternoon and tell everybody who doesn't think the way you do to F off. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that to really maximize your success, you need to get a handle on your fear, number one, and you need to have a success network around you and surround yourself with people who see your potential, believe in you, and are willing to support you to get there. Mm-hmm. You bring up a really good point. Well, many good points, but one of them is this concept that you you become the average of the five people that you surround yourself with, which has been said for many, many years. Like on every personal development podcast ever yeah. too. Like it, it, exactly. Right. And... I actually, I had a conversation recently with another guest of ours on our show. And one of the things that he said is that you are the average of the five behaviors that you're interested with. And that was a very interesting perspective because, you know, I thought back in my life and, and it's not to say one's right, the other one's wrong. It just, it just is, it's whichever way you interpret it, because I think there's so much more than even the behaviors, um, even the thought pattern and what you do and, and stuff like that, that outside of our, that is outside of our daily behaviors, it's still an influence. So what I've been trying to better understand, and that is, it goes back, relates to the topic that you spoke about as far as getting rid of certain people within that tribe. Right. And I think what, what you were, well, maybe I'll, I'll ask you that question as well, but for me, it's not necessarily getting rid of people completely or doing what, as you said, composing that email and saying, Hey, we're no longer friends or right. hey, we're no longer, as of today, we're no longer family members. It's more so actively choosing to still be within that space, but, but understanding what that space is. Correct. Right. So if I come into it and I understand that we don't have conversations when it comes to entrepreneurial mindset or pursuit of goals or aspirations. Well, there are other topics that we can talk about, but I just know that those are the things that are not, um, when you talk about the activities, the common activities that bring us together, you know, the same way, same analogy of the football field. That's, that's just, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But what I've learned sometimes, and it took me a long time to understand it was I used to try and make it work. I used to tell myself that I can do it. I can get them interested in this. I can get them talking about this. But after a while, I just learned that it's just, it, it just doesn't work like that. You know, so we're all wired differently and our interests are always different. And even though they might be accepting you within that space, 
the interest is still not there. And so I think that's important to acknowledge that you don't have to get rid of people complete, completely. It's, it's more so about making a choice as far as what is your level and depth of connection is going to be moving forward. Well, it's about that energy and commitment to, to being in that space. You know, I, I will pull another matrix analogy. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah, the red pill versus the blue pill, right? So once you go down this entrepreneurial journey, you've taken that red pill and you've kind of unplugged yourself from the matrix. Yeah. Whereas everybody else is still eating their fake steaks and their computer generated, you know, everything else. And so <laughs> again, you know, you, there are, there are relatives or people that have been in your life for ever. <laughs> and it's, it's harder to get rid of them. Uh, and, you know, there are people that I have ended friendships with and, and people are, people generally aren't stupid. Like, you know, when you just kind of stop hanging out over time, they get it right. And, you know, but, but I I will say this, there are people in our lives oftentimes who can be, it's not just that they don't get the mindset, but they can be toxic to us. So, you know, these are the people who are inherently and overtly negative about everything and anything complain constantly. Um, will berate you or belittle your goals. So I will encourage you that if those people are in your life, relatives or not, you know, you really need to do everything you can to shield yourself from their, from their presence. And that doesn't mean, you know, cause they're going to be at your holiday party. That doesn't mean you, you know, you don't see them, but you know, keep things very, very close to the vest, so to speak about what you're doing. And, you know, just focus the majority of your time and your energy on those people who, who will push you forward, you know, to, to go back to Napoleon Hill. That's another reason why masterminds are so successful, right? Mm-hmm. You, you find a mastermind, you find a group of five or six people that think like you, act like you. Concentration. Maybe they're mm-hmm. further along where, than where you are. That's even better because, you know, they tend to, you know, bring you up as well. Um, it's really important to spend time in that space. And it's interesting, you know, my, my wife is not an entrepreneur. uh, And the entrepreneurial journey is oftentimes lonely if you if you don't seek that out, you know, so my wife knows at a very high level, what kind of things I'm doing. And it's not because I'm hiding or keeping secrets from her or that she's negative in any way. She's amazing. She's supportive. We've been married over 10 years. I, I am grateful to her each and every day. But I just have a whole nother set of people that I process business related challenges with just because they have a different perspective. And so it's okay to do that. It's okay to find, you know, your business tribe or your, your mentorship tribe. It's, it's totally fine. You can do that, but you do have to do that. And and I'm not saying you can't be successful if you don't have that, but I've never met anybody who's successful in all the hundreds of people that I've interviewed who have come on my platform. I've never met anybody who has told me that they're, process wasn't accelerated either by mentorship and or surrounding themselves with like-minded people who can help them get to where they want to go. Mm-hmm. What is success to you? Success to me, a few things, freedom and freedom means different things to different people. What freedom means to me is that I can spend my days doing stuff that's fun for me, stuff that excites me that I wake up in my, in the morning. And when I look at my phone uh, I, I'm excited about whatever messages I missed from the night before or what new opportunities are going to present themselves. Freedom also means freedom of time. And I think that's the one thing as an entrepreneur 
that is the greatest thing that, you know, both of my kids are young and in school and I get to go to everything. I'm usually the only dad in the class who shows up for, you know, when my kid dressed up as Abraham Lincoln, and put on on the cotton beard. I got to be there for that. And so um, I'll, you know, sometimes pull my kid out of my, my oldest one out of school and take Mm -hmm. him to like, I'm going to, I'm going to take him to opening day this year for baseball. And um, you know, I, I think, I think life is about experiences and success means for me the freedom that I'm able to give those experiences to my children and they're not going to remember everything but they're going to remember that you know their dad was there and their dad did these really cool things with them so I'm just I'm really grateful for that more than anything else you know the the money it's funny and and I've heard this from many many people who Uh have either been on my show or I or you know we've become friends as a result of it the more you the more you obtain, the less exciting it is. You know, everybody talks about, oh, I'm going to be a millionaire. Like, what does that mean to you? Like, what does it mean? How much money do you really need to achieve your goals? Which is something that people don't often think about. Like, what level of income will bring you contention? And so, you know, for me, excuse me, contentment. Contention is very different. Uh, you know, so it's, it becomes much less about the money and much more about legacy more about impact, more about how can you use the money you have to help others and do different things with them. So um, I think I answered your question. I know I, yeah. I get slightly off topic there, but yeah, that's success for me. No, you certainly have. And one of the other things that I'd like to point out, in my opinion, is oftentimes what I've heard when it comes to money is money is evil. Well, I think there's there's kind of two sides to that coin, right? And that is, there's that perspective if you choose to look at it. And then there's the other perspective and that is money is a resource. I think money is a resource, just like anything else. Money is a resource, just like time is a resource. And I think with money, you know, it's, it, it's a very valid question that you bring up as far as what do you really need to achieve your goals? How much do you really need to live? How you want to live and the choices and the experiences that you want to create and, I think anything beyond that, it's completely up to you whether or not you want it. But just understanding kind of going back to the beginning of this, understanding the baseline, right, of, of what you need in order for you to strive in the person that you are today and, and thrive within that lifestyle. Slightly off topic, but it's something that I wanted to know and you just happen to have the knowledge in the background to possibly be able to answer this question and that is when you were sharing your story at the at the beginning of this episode and talking about the car crash yeah and and the the appearance that time slowed down and um, the different realizations and thoughts that you had within that i'm curious to know about this phrase that i've been hearing for quite some time and that is supposedly when you die your life flashes in front of you can you speak a little bit about that and, and what your what your thoughts on that? Because I'm trying to understand it. I haven't had a near near death experience, so I can't really relate, but I I also am struggling to understand as far as well, dying seems like especially that moment, it seems like, you know, instant. So how can all of that happen? Or or is that something that we just um want to assume that it happens? Yeah, it's not actually what happens. You know, you don't you don't have this moment where you get this like 
YouTube highlight reel of your life <laughs> that, that gets played back for you. So there's a, the, the phenomenon is called time dilation. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people call that matrix time just because it's cooler to call it that. But what, what basically happens is so you have these mechanisms in our brain that, that all play this really major role in this. And this is the amygdala, which is the part of our brain which really governs emotions like fear and anger. You have the hippocampus, which is strongly tied to memory. And then you have a structure called the medial prefrontal cortex. I'm, I'm trying to not bore you here with neuroanatomy, but basically these structures work together. And so basically what happens is when we're in a near-death experience, the amygdala in particular goes into hyperdrive. And so the amygdala is the part of our brain that's really storing emotional memories. So that's why when people have PTSD, and it's, it's so difficult to, to fix, so to speak, because you're really dealing with the part of our brain when things are traumatic, when things are scary, dangerous, that it really, it's like our brain's DVR. And it, instead of capturing at 30 frames a second, it's capturing at 120. Mm. So the visual aspects of it, the, uh, the, the tactile and the, the, the auditory and the emotional aspects of this are all intensified. And so those get stored in our amygdala. But in that, in that moment where you think we're about to die, you know, you have those, those three systems that kind of play together and what they do is give us a chance. It's, it's that fight or flight thing, right? It gives us our chance to kind of get out of there. This is not a new development for humans. This is something that's been going around since the saber tooth tigers were chasing us. Like this, <laughs> this is an ancient system that is designed to give us a chance to collect ourselves and take stock of our surroundings and take action to preserve our lives. It's, it's a survival mechanism. So that's what happens. So that's why, you know, in that moment for me, uh, you know, as I said, three seconds maybe, and it felt like an eternity long enough for me to have uh, a conversation essentially with myself. And what's interesting too, is that, you know, I couldn't tell you what I had to have for breakfast last Tuesday, but I remember every aspect of that accident so vividly again mm-hmm. because that part of my brain was was in hyperdrive and so people that have these brushes with death or you know really a traumatic moment or somebody holds them at gunpoint you know whatever the the trigger is for that in that stressor in the moment we tend to have a really clear and vivid detail of it and often our perception of time uh, that incident feels like it's much much longer than it actually is in reality Mm-hmm. So part of the the processing and I guess you could say the coping and the recovery for something like that, and this is what I've been trying to understand more and more, and um, I don't have the terminology to explain it as you might do, but when you experience a traumatic experience such as the one you went through, right, a car crash or something that really intensified your whole system, right? it seems to me that one way to kind of get it back to where it's not so intense is to put yourself in in environments where you can kind of bring down that pressure, right? In in a way going from like 120 to 100 to 90 to 30 and, and lower and lower and in different environments. Is that somewhat accurate or not exactly, or does it? Does that even make sense? What what it, I'm it, saying? It, I'd hear what you're saying. It does make sense. So, but it's it's not exactly what happens. So uh-huh. what 
you know, this is an automated thing. This isn't like a switch that you decide to turn <laughs> on. So it's like breathing, right? So the brain does all this for you. You get the surge of adrenaline and norepinephrine and all this stuff happens, right? So once the threatening stimulus is gone, uh-huh. it'd be at the tiger, the man with the gun, the car accident is over. Your, your senses naturally go back to baseline. Okay. Now, what, what happens, though, is that if we had something that's really traumatic, as I said, it, it, it tends to encode itself in the amygdala uh, more so than, like, you know, if you, if you just learn school knowledge, like, you know, there's 50 states, that's a hippocampus type of memory versus remembering uh, being in a burning building. That's an amygdalic memory. And so... <laughs> what what in the simplest of terms, what treatment is aimed at from a therapeutic standpoint to help somebody get over something that's a real traumatic moment for them is helping them shift the memories from the amygdala to moving their ability to cope with it into the frontal cortex, which is the executive functioning, the higher reasoning part of our brain. It's the part that separates us from lower animals to where you can process it, to where you can say, I'm okay. I didn't die. I still have all of my arms and legs or whatever it is. And so there's different ways of doing that. You know, there's, there's therapy, there's bioneurofeedback. Uh, there's all kinds of different really cool tech applications to this that continue to come onto the marketplace. But um, it's, all, it's all geared at the same thing. It's basically unwinding those memories and moving things out of the amygdala into a, a different part of the brain where you can apply reason and logic to them because the amygdala is not a reasonable part of our brain, right? Like mm-hmm. when we're, when we're angry, we're irrational. And you know, so it's, it's the same. I mean, it's, it's basically the same part of our brain that, you know, has us like if when, when we lose it and you know, not, you're not able to talk to somebody, when, when somebody's out of control, that's their amygdala is totally taken over and you can't logically say, hey, Oleg, but what about this? Like, it just doesn't work that way. So now, now, what you talked about is critical for people that do have trauma exposure into helping them maintain their baseline by keeping in a calm environment, by trying to not necessarily put yourself in stressors that remind you of the incident mm-hmm. uh, because then that avoidance response would, would start kicking in. And uh, so, you know, I, I think it's a good rule of thought for any type of psychological well, well-being is to put yourself in an environment where you can be calm, collected, where you can, if you need to, focus on self-care. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that alone isn't going to undo trauma if trauma is there. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I've been curious about when it comes to the the different forms of storytelling therapy and all of these other coping mechanisms that we have developed for when it comes to dealing with traumatic experiences is after having so many different conversations with people of different backgrounds one of the themes that i heard that i hear quite often is this concept of truth right and then and what i mean by that is you redefining a certain traumatic event or a certain experience a certain memory for how you choose to see it. And what I've wondered is through that process and and looking at it from, for example, if you were in the burning building and you saw someone catch on fire and die and maybe 
for a portion that you blamed yourself because you know the fire started because of you and then through reasoning you can kind of identify certain things that may not be this in the same exact sequence as they appear to be so x number of years ago and so i've been curious to know like what is truth at that point and why is it that we struggle with this concept of living our truth and i could be making a big generalization here but because I'm trying to understand it is, is truth is, is truth something that you just accept and, and it's okay for it to evolve or does truth have to be that, that thing, that origin, that initial idea. And then we just struggle in kind of coping with it and understanding. So I'll speak from my perspective, all of the experience, a lot of the experiences that I went through when I was very young leading up to 12 years old and how I look at them now are from a slightly different lens. And that is when I was younger, there were moments where I would almost blame myself for not being able to bring the family back together and thinking that maybe there was, I was one of the reasons and stuff like that. And then as I got older, I'd like go a lot of that blame. And so that became my truth. So I've been just trying to understand that. How, why, why do we struggle with that? What, what are your thoughts? Well, here's the good news. Uh-huh. Truth is whatever you believe it to be. They've so it's done, okay for it to evolve. It, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's been some really cool studies that have come out of athletics where they took a group of kids and they had them visualize and tell themselves, I'm a great free throw shooter. Mm-hmm. Every time I shoot a free throw, it goes into the basket. Um, I'm amazing at what I do. And then they took another group of kids and <clears throat> didn't do anything, just had them shoot free throws, you know, and, and this was just like a random group of kids, you know, so mm-hmm. it wasn't like, you know, one was like an AAU, everybody on the team was going to be playing, you know, for Michigan State you know, or anything like that. Like these were just normal high school kids. And what they found were overwhelmingly was that the ones who believed that they were good free throw shooters were good free throw shooters or better, Mm. I should say, better free throw shooters than the kids that didn't do that at all. And that study was repeated and and found to be true multiple times. So um, what's true to you is true. Mm. And the the brain doesn't really differentiate what you visualize versus reality. And so if you see yourself as fat, or you see yourself as lazy, or you see yourself as unsuccessful, that's what you will be. And that's not new age you know, hippie talk, that's science. And so, you know, it's, again, it it goes back to what we were talking about earlier is that you need people in your ear building you up. Now that doesn't mean that, you know, if you're, you don't want to be the guy who jumps out of an airplane with no parachute and and then you get asked (laughs) how you're doing and you're like, everything's great. You know, like that's not good either. Right. Because, you know, you need, you need some correctional feedback, of course, but um, truth is whatever you feel that it is. And so if your truth is unhealthy, then it's really critical to reframe that truth, reframe that truth about who you think you are. And more importantly, reframe that truth about who you think you can be. Hmm. I like that because that's one of the things that I've been trying to understand and, and really through power of visualization. I mean, even as you and I are speaking right now, I look, I drew out kind of different um, experiences as far as quote unquote goals that I wanted to have within this life. And so I put them in front of my table every single morning 
and I look at them to help myself process and help see myself within that particular person. And, and so I like this point of not only picturing that, but also picturing yourself of what of who you can be, because at the end of the day, if there's anything that I've learned, it is that no one can tell you what you can be in life. You are the only one. And it always starts with you. So if you tell yourself that, hey, I can do this, or I can do that. If you concentrate hard enough on the idea, you actually find the way. Just as you were talking at the beginning of this podcast, when you were launching your show, now everything starts with an idea. And then the, the how gets figured out through action. It's, it's like the adage that the journey of a thousand steps starts with the first step. It, it doesn't. It starts with an idea. Yeah. And if you have the idea and start taking action, the pieces fall into place. They just mm-hmm. do. I mean, it, you know, in my experience, as I said, you know, when I, when I started, I mean, I, I, for my podcast, I, I think I mentioned this when we spoke before, like I would get up at 4.30 in the morning every day and just start emailing people with my, mm-hmm. with my personal email address. I didn't even have a show title or anything yet. Like, I just, mm-hmm. hey, come on my show. And eventually people started coming. And then like, it's like, oh my God, well now I need this component. I need a website and I need this and that. And the, the pieces just kind of fell into place. Like I, the, the right relationship would kind of show up for me at the right time. And I think people who are in the state of flow where they're having fun and they're, they're very successful and they love what they do, they oftentimes will say things just like that. Yeah, like just at the right time, I met the right person who was able to help me do X, Y, and Z. Um, there's always a solution for everything, mm-hmm. but it just takes unwavering faith in yourself and, and extraordinary effort. And, and that quote comes from Hal Elrod that he talked mm-hmm. about the miracle equation and Hal's, Hal was so on point with that. You know, like it, it's having an idea is just an idea, but it's having the idea and then taking action, taking massive action that will lead to success. Yeah. And the other thing that I would like to point out is in regard to this massive action, that's completely defined by you as an individual. I think sometimes, and I've caught myself doing this too. When, when people would say, Hey, you need to take massive action. I would, I, I fell into the comparison route. And so I would look at at people like Gary Vaynerchuk and, and all the content they're creating and, and think to myself, well, damn, this is not enough. I'm not creating enough action. But really, it's just it's completely defined by what you, you can do within the time frame that you choose. So, I like to I like to point that out. Um, final thought for today's episode, and this is a question that I ask a lot of our guests, and that is, who or what are you grateful for today? Today, I'm grateful for my wife and my kids every single day. Um, particularly this day because my wife was out of town this weekend and I had the kids by myself. And so uh, if you're a single mom or dad listening to this, I have unbelievable admiration for you because it's a lot of hard work. <laughs> it's much easier when you have someone. You know, I, I'm grateful that I get to spend today just doing things that make me happy. Uh, I got to come on your show today, which was really cool. I'm having somebody come on mine in, in an hour and a half. And then I get mm-hmm. to spend the rest of the time in in marketing meetings and working on my software, which is just a lot of fun for me. So I, you know, again, freedom, freedom and gratitude go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, you know, I just focus on my mission mm-hmm. and in doing that every day, it, it hasn't felt like work to me for a really long time. I guess I'll, I'll end with that. 
Hmm. How do people find you if they want to connect with you and, and learn more about who you are and what you do? Sure. The, the mothership, so to speak, is doc, <laughs> drrichardschuster.com. Uh, and you can spell that any way you want to. It's actually drrichardshuster.com. But mm. uh, people always spell my name wrong as they know they do yours. And so I, I literally bought every domain imaginable <laughs> in terms of spelling combination and just forwarded it all to the right one. Uh, our, our website's at thedailyhelping.com. And if you want to check out some of our human performance tools that I alluded to, either go to www.seekyourpowers.com. Mm, I love that. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for sharing your story and, and the different insights and, and your knowledge. I, I really been, do appreciate that. No, it's been an honor being here. Oleg. Thanks for having me on. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google, describing your experience and the impact that this particular show has had on you and your life. Second, if you haven't subscribed to our show, go ahead and do so, so you don't miss out on any of the latest guests or any of the latest content. Third, if you are looking to get more connected to this particular community and all of the things that it has to offer, consider joining us on our weekly calls called Courageous Conversations, which take place through Zoom. They're free of charge, happen every single Saturday at 9 a.m. Central Time. If you are interested, please go ahead and leave us a message through our website, and that is overcomingodds.today and we'll be happy to respond to you with all the details about how you can join any of those particular calls. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we'll look forward to having you next week.